Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Dan Diaz, who is a leader over the CalAIM initiative and enhanced care management for Kern Health Systems, also known as Kern Family Healthcare, the 20th largest health plan in the United States, and one that serves one county just north of Los Angeles, and that is Kern County, California. In today's episode, we learn how Dan's immigrant parents who immigrated to the United States as teenagers worked hard, and how his mom ultimately became a nurse that inspired Dan to become a nurse himself. After serving in the ICU, Dan took a trip to Africa, and that inspired him to maybe make a bigger difference with more lives by joining the organization that insured him as a child. And so Dan joined the case management world over at Kern Health System and ultimately is now leading the ECM or enhanced care management efforts. In today's episode, we learn how his efforts have yielded fruit in 2022 and what's happening so far in 2023 as he and his team grow the program. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Feel free to check out other episodes of Pop Health Podcast by visiting us at popupodcast.com or checking us out on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy today's episode. Dan, thanks so much for joining the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So folks, um, I have actually not known Dan uh, for too long, but I have known some of his colleagues for a while. I had the chance uh, to meet Dan over in Burbank, California at a conference recently and uh, learned about his role and know his organization well there in Kern County. And uh, yeah, asked him to be the podcast and here he is. So uh, it's pretty cool. Even though he, Dan, you have a nursing role, you actually do some different things there at Kern, not just nursing, right? I do a little bit of everything. I've, I've been really fortunate here in Kern Family Healthcare to be a little bit of a stem cell in the sense that I just kind of pop in different places and just grow wherever they want me to grow. So as far as managed care plans, I've done a little bit of everything, um, case management, uh, disease management. Um, now, as we will talk more about enhanced care management, but also I've even been in our commercial at Kern Family Healthcare and done other more community events. So a little bit of everything. That is awesome. I think you're the first <laughs> guest uh, that kind of fits that unique mold. So uh, we usually like to get to know the guest a little bit outside of your role there with Kern. So uh, can you give us a little background on yourself, Dan, maybe where you grew up? Uh, let's start there. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a poster child for Kern County. As you see me today, I am 33 years old and I have been, I've spent 33 years here in Kern County. I'm born and bred in this area and couldn't, I couldn't see myself in any other place. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, very rarely do you see somebody in Kern County staying in Kern County, being in Kern <laughs> County. But as we get to know a little bit more about me, I think that I owe this county a lot. And I feel like through this role that I do today, I feel like I get to pay it back and pay it forward. That's awesome, man. So 33. I wish I can say uh, I was still 33, but uh, remember <laughs> the days. Uh, so 33 years at Kern. So you're growing up in Kern County, uh, Bakersfield area or, or what part? Yeah, yeah. Uh, more specifically, are, are you familiar with the Bakersfield area? Have you driven down here, been around here? A little bit, not too much. Our audience probably isn't uh, that familiar sure. either. So maybe you can add, maybe you can respond to that as if we don't know too much about it. <laughs> For sure. 
So uh, looking at Kern County, um, really looking in, in general, one of the salient features of Kern County is how big it is. When we're talking about sheer size of a county, we're talking the 20th largest county in the United States. Okay. Third largest in, yeah. And it's, if you've been down here, I think anybody who's familiar with in the California, any California listeners out there, we look at a Kern, uh, Bakersfield and we think that's the entire Kern County. That's it. And it's true. 69% of the 900,000 or so folks that live in Kern County do live in Bakersfield. So that's a good chunk of it. So when you're driving down the 99 or I-5, if you're going down that route, you see cattle, you see agriculture, you'll see some oil derricks, and that's pretty much all you'll see. But I think, like I said, one of the salient features is how big we are. I mean, Bakersfield is big, but we also have far north as Delano. We go as far west as Taft. Um, And then we go, if you're in Taft, you can drive two and a half hours and still be in Kern County um, all the way through Lake Isabella. So we have a lot of uh, very centered area in Bakersfield in the metropolitan area, but also we're rarely really squeezed out into these outlying communities. And that also, that's really a unique challenge of, of Kern County is how big it is. Yeah, I didn't realize. I mean, I knew it was a decent size, but uh, wow. So question for you. So you're growing up, you've been there 33 years. At what point are you looking at nursing as something you want to do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think if you look at me, um, I, there's this weird, like, kind of growing sentiment that the American dream isn't alive and well. But I, I just have such a weird perspective on that because I think it's as alive as it's ever been. I'm the living proof of an American dream. Um, my mom, a uh, powerhouse of a human being that she is, little Honduran lady, uh, came over here, immigrated when she was 16. My father came over here when he was 16 from Mexico, and they settled roots here. And because of great programs like Medi-Cal, um, Dentical, all the good stuff, they were they gave them the crutch that they needed to get to the education they have. As far as nursing is concerned, my, my mom took advantage of all that. I was on Kern Family Healthcare. I was very much of oh, a product wow. of this system. Um, and she used it to get herself in a position. She went to school. She became a registered nurse. Um, and after school, things changed. Our financial situation changed, but it was all made possible by these kind of programs. So for me on the nursing end, um, you know, they, I looked at my mom as somebody who didn't speak English, somebody who didn't have the opportunities, who used what was given to her, these beautiful programs that we have today in California, really uh, used them to the best of her ability. And then she paid it forward. Now she's a registered nurse, emergency rooms, urgent cares here in Bakersfield as well. And I saw that and I wanted to emulate that, you know, the well-trodden path of a mother's son <laughs> following in my mother's footsteps. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, that's how I became a nurse and that's how I got interested in nursing. That is awesome, man. I mean, I love, I think you might be like the second guest I've had, maybe more, but um, uh, one of the leaders over at HealthNet had a similar story of being a Medi-Cal beneficiary growing up. Yeah. Uh, actually not too far from you, but it's cool to hear that you're actually working for an organization that, you know, helped provide care for you ultimately as a child in your family. Uh, was it called like uh, Kern Family Healthcare back then as well or? Yeah. So, well, so when I was, I was born, it was straight Medi-Cal that we went on, but as we, 1996 is roughly when Kern Family Healthcare came to be as far as managed Medi-Cal. And uh, that's when we transitioned into that plan and the rest is history. I mean, we were on that plan for maybe five years, six years and received all the benefits. I remember going to my little clinic here, um, poly clinic here off of Nile street here in Bakersfield. And, uh, from there, we use Dentical, and those are the kind of bridge programs that we needed. And and I think that there's, again, perception and what people see, see on paper is you see a lot of folks using these services, that are, but a lot of these folks use these services transiently, and yeah. they use these to bridge themselves into other positions. And without these programs, stories like mine don't happen. Yeah, man, that is awesome. So your mom, 
So your mom isn't in the necessarily medical world. She was a fast. She is a, working in fast paced environments in the emergency department mm-hmm. um, at urgent cares. So when you jump into nursing, uh, which you're still doing today, but maybe not in what when people think of nursing, they may not think of your role in particular. Oh. So when you're thinking of nursing, are you thinking, hey, I'm going to be an emergency department nurse like my mom or tell us kind of maybe that early stage nursing world for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, I, I was having a conversation uh, the other day with some of our exec teams here, and I was we we're talking about the nursing mentality here in California. Um, when we go, when nurses graduate from whether you're an associate program or a bachelor's program or what have you, you kind of have this mindset like, I need to be in a hospital setting. I need yeah. to go to emergency room. I need to do this. And that's really of no fault to the, the programs. That's just kind of the mindset and the mentality. Um, really, when, when I left school, um, I went immediately to the ICU because um, okay. that's all I knew that was really existing and no no fault to the ICU that's great clinical experience all the folks that go out to the hospital that's fantastic experience however um, I feel uh, as I w- after the ICU I was kind of looking thinking that everything's really here siloed. I have the impact on one particular situation, one particular, uh, I did cardiovascular ICU, um, one particular open heart, uh, one particular vascular surgery. And when you look at nursing and kind of the ethos of it is to probably to help out the community in the whole. And working in a plan like this in managed care really gave me the opportunity to take a broader swipe in, in the healthcare and have a bigger footprint in the healthcare of a group of people, not just yeah. necessarily the person who's in the hospital today and make everlasting change. I think here in the ECM program, as we'll probably go into that further, I think here in the ECM program, I have profound change over hundreds, if not thousands of people through either direct contact that I make when I'm in person with these folks in their home or when we're doing administrative things and rolling out new populations of focus and trying our best to identify these people as they come in. Um, here in the managed care, like it's not an obvious thing for some folks, but I think education will be out there. I think this line of work is becoming more prominent in our field. I think more and more nurses are coming into this managed care field because they see huge initiatives like CalAIM and they see the opportunity to make bigger changes on a bigger scale. Yeah. So when, so you did ICU, fast paced, you know, you're, you're helping in maybe a couple patients per shift, right? Two to one ratio, I guess I'm going off memory. Yeah. Still two to one? One to one on the, on the cardiovascular recoveries, but two to one if it was something else. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So you were really doing that specialty uh, with the one to one. So you're doing ICU, fast paced, you're living the dream, falling after mom, kind of, sort of. <laughs> when, like, when are you like, hey, I want to do something different? Tell us about the journey, which ultimately got you over to Kern Family Healthcare. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of mix in between there um, okay. before I even became a nurse. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I've, maybe the listeners will find interesting about me and my, the journey to become a nurse and, and ultimately end up having a conversation with you today. Um, I did a lot of mission, missionary work. I worked, I did missionary work down in the Central America. Um, my wife and I, who's also a registered nurse as well, um, she and I did a missionary trip in Nigeria, in Abuja, uh, to be more specific. And those kind of things really opened my eyes to bigger uh, bigger, broader strokes of how I can help out folks, not just siloing it to hospitals. And really when those missionary trips really led me into the world of nursing. Um, and, I, and then as I were saying, after I kind of was in the ICU, I wanted to do something bigger. I was in the ICU when I went to Africa. Uh, I was probably had already done a year. And then I said, Hey, 
I love, I love doing intensive care. I love running codes. I love saving lives. I love to be that, that uh, nurse in, that we see in the TV shows, you know, all sulking and, you know, looking like the hero as this, the mist is coming around them. But really <laughs> what I want to do is a bigger things on a more global scale. And uh, as, as I came to it, looking around, I saw that there was case management. Case management was my first foray into KHS. I saw that you can have a queue um, in case management in the, today's terms is population population health management but i saw you see a queue you get to visit folks in the community um get to see different things and really tackle the problems at home in the in the mention of the missionary trips that i've seen i think when people hear about missionary work and, and especially in the clinical sense we think about third world countries in a really desperate way like in in the case that there everybody in the third world country is lack of food, uh, famine, uh, war-torn areas. But of all my travels, and again, I've been through Central America, I've been through Africa, I've been through Eastern Europe, my son was born in Ukraine. Um, Some of the most desperate and tough situations that I've ever seen in my entire life have been right here in my hometown. Some of the biggest moments where I'm sitting by at the bedside at someone's house where desperation is a 10 out of 10 have come here in Bakersfield. Um, wow. yeah, that's, that's deep. I didn't realize we're getting to pretty, pretty, uh, deep, deep stuff here, man. This is great. I love it. Um, so you said your first foray in KHS or current family healthcare, those are for folks that uh, are out there may not realize, can you kind of break down why you might hear KHS or current family healthcare and what that, what the differences are there? Yeah, you're uh, you're at risk of getting a canned answer to start with. I think we already mentioned it a little bit too. Um, so, Kern Family Healthcare in 1996, KHS rolled out Kern Family Healthcare, which is the uh, managed care uh, benefit for the Medi-Cal population here right. in, in Kern Family Health. So yeah, so that's that's us. We're the managed care plan for Medi-Cal here in Kern County, a large, large county with a lot of a huge, diverse population. Cool. So you're doing ICU. You wanted to make a bigger impact. So you just looked for a role at KHS or how did you eventually, you know, break yeah. in, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I, w- I wish, I wish it came because they were doing their due diligence and like, you know, this guy, we're looking for you, Dan, but yeah. just as life would have it, things are very happenstantial, if that's a word, or very lucky. Um, I remember I was actually uh, right after ICU, um, I came back from Africa and I was like, yeah, I want to do a little, something a little different. Um, in, in between those two things, I did work in hospice. Okay. Um, I thought that was going to be a good travel around the county kind of job. Um, there was one day that I get a call from Kern Family Healthcare um, while I was working in hospice. And there was a position in case management. And, and I, to plug a name here, and she still works with us today. And on the off chance you're listening, Diane, I, she, Diane Lay, our um, manager at the time at case management, now population health management, gave me a call. She's like, hey, we're looking at you. We think that you'd be a good fit. And, you know, as history will have it, I, I stuck around and I've been here since um, 2015. Okay, awesome. So uh, eight years. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So you're, you, you start doing case management uh, over at Current Family Healthcare, KHS. Again, we might use both terms. Um, yeah. And so now you're here because of the CalAIM initiative. So could you walk us through how you got plugged into the CalAIM or Enhanced Care Management um, initiative there at current or KHS. Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I was working in um, population health management as a case manager. And I, as I'd grown into my role here at Current Family Healthcare, what I was really uh, working on is on the EHR front, implementing um, NCQA certified assessments and making sure that we have a good workflow for the plan of care on, on the nursing end. And uh, what has happened is HHP at the time, um, our predecessor that came uh, from ECM, uh, was starting something called the distributive model. Um, and if you're familiar with the distributive model, essentially what it was in the HHP world was the state was giving us some license here in the managed care side to help out these smaller mom and pop style offices who don't have uh, readily accessible case management or don't have the robust resources to do their own case management. So what I had worked on with HHP is to start that program, internalize some of the case management flow, and then help out some of these sites that we were going to work with on the distributive model front. Um, this was roughly, I would say 2020 was when we started working in and working with a couple of sites. We started with the pediatric site and then we opened up to another uh provider. And I was working just as a requirement builder and workflow builder, and eventually just became one of the registered nurse case managers on the HHP distributed model front. And then as we kind of bled forward, um, each, as history has it again, HHP quickly became um, ECM. Yeah. Enhanced care management for those that may, be, uh, may not be familiar. So Dan, we do have some listeners. I'd say majority at this point are familiar with CalAIM and mm -hmm. what enhanced care management is. Um, but uh, yeah, folks for, who are maybe new to the show, uh, Dan's going to, he's actually kind of the lead for enhanced care management over at uh, Kern. I'm just going to say Kern. I hope you don't mind the short, the short term there. <laughs> no uh, but could you break down? Well, first of all, let me take a step back. So your organization, approximately how many members uh, do you guys serve today? Yeah, so we have, as of today's count, we get a daily count, it's 369,000 members. Um, and just to put that into context, as we were talking about Kern County, a little bit of that geography, um, we have 909,000. So that's one out of every three are on Kern Family Healthcare. That is that is quite a bit. And so um, enhanced care management is part of this CalAIM or California Advancing and Innovating Medi-Cal initiative. And can you tell us about what you and your team are doing under enhanced care management? Yeah, so in, in enhanced care management, we started on the transition from HHP in 2021 to 2022. On the enhanced care management front, really, for me, if I was going to explain it to somebody who probably had never heard about an enhanced care management, essentially with our HHP or our health homes program, really what we're looking at is really condition-based. So you, if you had this condition, whether it was diabetes, hypertension, COPD, so on and so forth, in conjunction with some other criteria, you're going to be in our program. And we're really focused, we were at the time really focusing on chronic conditions and clinical Really what flipped its head is kind of a root cause analysis that happened, like what preceded, kind of the chicken, the egg kind of thing. What preceded this person having diabetes, hypertension, and making those choices to have those kind of uh, chronic conditions? And really, we started entering this world in the ECM front of social determinants of health, that the root cause of what's leading up to these issues. So as we kind of rolled out in, in 2022, our populations of focus radically changed. We weren't focusing in on the chronic conditions anymore. We're looking at homelessness. Yeah. And it makes so much sense because what, what caused this person to make really bad health choices? Well, maybe it wasn't really bad health choices that they were making. Maybe it was just a lack of access, lack of opportunity. If you're homeless, you're not always going to have your lancets and your glucometer and your medications that are handy. 
you might not have a place to store them. You might not even have a, a, a ride to get to your pharmacy to fill those medications. So the population of focuses that we've been doing makes so much sense in the, in the case that that preceded your chronic condition. So with us in ECM, we, in 2022, we rolled out those populations of focus, the homelessness, um, the high ER utilizers, the SMI, SUD, and then we are a WPC or a whole person care county. So we have the incarcerated population of focus as well. Great. And for the SMI and SUD, for our audience members who are not familiar with uh, enhanced care management, can you break down what those uh, populations are as well? Yeah. So um, the serious mental illness, substance use disorder, on the serious mental illness front, really what they were, they're looking at is really identifying folks who are using county mental health services, so specialty mental health services, or other uh, programs like the drug medical program for their mental health issues with some other criteria. Um, when we're looking at other criteria, they were looking for any type of social issue that they may be having, either food insecurity, housing insecurity, lack of su successful community engagement. And in addition to that, looking really at folks who are using, maybe you're using the urgent care or emergency room or inpatient setting as a primary uh, care source, or, usually, or you're going back and forth into the hospital setting because of a mental health issue. Those are some of the most vulnerable populations that we service. We, in Bakersfield, California, we do have a high proportion of these uh, SMI folks, folks with schizophrenia, folks with depression and anxiety to certain degrees um, who are kind of lost navigating the healthcare scene. And that's really what we're trying to focus on uh, with the SMIs. Cool. That's a great breakdown. That, uh, thank you very much. Um, and so I know coming up here, in, we're in 2023. So for those of you that aren't familiar, uh, Department of Healthcare Services here in California has asked groups like Dan's there in Kern County to really focus on populations and roll them into these enhanced care management programs. So I know here in 2023, uh, starting in July, uh, the population of focus will be children. Um, not sure if you have anything, if it's too early to, to reveal anything, but can you tell us about your efforts uh, coming up with children? Yeah, I think whenever we roll out a new population of focus, obviously there's a lot of dialogue that happens beforehand with the DHCS, what the, what's constituted in that population, what we're going to do with it, and how we're going to engage with it, and some of the operational guidance that they give us. Um, really internally, what we're doing is, in just like every population of focus that we've been rolling out with, is, is establishing relationships with our community partners to help access some of these members. Some of these members are in, notoriously difficult to engage with. Um, speaking specifically, some of these pediatric population of focuses that we're looking into the homeless population of pediatrics, higher high utilizer pediatric focus, um, our CCS, our child welfare, our, our initial engage, our initial strategies is how are we going to outreach? What partners in the community can we outreach to, to help us navigate these tough waters for them and make ECM a possibility for them and make it aware for them. So number one is outreach and engagement yeah. with our community partners. And then two, kind of our internal efforts. I, I think this is kind of one of the interesting things about CalAIM. Um, I feel, and this may be incorrect, uh, but I feel we're finally in the 21st century when it comes to healthcare. And then in the sense that we're really leveraging the data that's floating around there that usually was kind of here, hit or miss. We're starting yeah. to centralize that data and really fine tune who we're trying to identify. And internally, we're working with our teams to make sure that we're using the most refined criteria whether that's claims, whether uh, whatever diagnosis codes that we're using to really refine that, that stratification process to get the members that we need. Um, and can, then from there, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I can relate. Um, I, I'm <laughs> familiar with some of the, uh, 
the current folks who are, are trying to capture the data uh, out there. And <laughs> there's a lot of effort for sure. So Dan is speaking the truth when it comes to uh, data collection, especially from providers. I, so uh, sorry for getting yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that's one of the biggest, it's, and sorry to tangent here, but I think that's one of the biggest um, hurdles that we've really seen on the ground floor. And it's been super interesting to see, especially on the rollout of ECM, where data exchange is on the marquee, right? We're looking to get everybody in the 21st century. We have some providers um, without names uh, who are still very much writing things down. Um, writing on their pen and paper and all after visit summaries, all claims, all billing is running through paper. So you can imagine the the gap that they have to jump to get to a place where they're doing data exchange, where yeah. they're electronically submitting things through an SFTP. This is a yeah. huge gap of education that we have with our providers. And as much of, of, of a hurdle that we have to jump with our members to identify their barriers to care and get them to the place that they need to go on a clinical or non-clinical sense, Really, some some of the biggest battles that we're facing on the Cal Aim front, I'm sure that you are aware of this, is the data exchange. Oh, it's yeah. Getting people into the 21st century of of healthcare and data. Well, it's it, like you said, there is some progress, right? You in the 21st <laughs> century. Uh, for those new listeners out there, um, the the state is actually working really hard with groups yeah. uh, like Dan's to empower and give give resources out to providers as well, and actually help with funding to get these things mm -hmm. done and grants, which is really cool too. So while it can be a complex process, uh, kudos to, to Kern and the other plans throughout the state that are helping providers get there and not just expecting providers to figure it out on their own, right? Right, so, right. And that's that's part of the success stories that we've been finding on the purely uh, electronic data exchange front. Um, we've been working with some of our sites and we've seen dramatic changes in their implementation of, of electronic health records to help formalize an e a process of ECM. Um, things as simple as data exchange, but things as complex as uh, assessments and screening tools and plan of cares and all of that. It's been really interesting and rewarding to see the, that fundamental change because that change that we're instituting today for some of these sites going to the 21st century is going to be everlasting and it's, and it's going to affect thousands of thousands of people who walk through their doors. Yeah, no, really good point. That's one of the questions I came in uh, to ask you is your your initial successes. So Calium rolled out in 2022 with Kern. Mm -hmm. uh, you talked about some progress on the uh, the data side. What else have you seen in year one that you're something you can like, you know, tip your cap to or uh, be proud of? Yeah, I think growth. I think growth has is, is, is been huge. I think looking at 2022, I always on the ground floor where we've been working and a registered nurse like myself is looking at numbers, um, getting people enrolled, out, doing successful outreach and engagement. Um, I think the success that we've had, we are growing. We grew in 2022. We didn't uh, get smaller from HHP transition to ECM. We're up to 5,000 members as, as of today. Um, when we're looking at a plan of 369,000, that's a good percentage. And with this new population of focus for pediatrics, we're looking to exponentially grow and really help the lives of all these uh, people who come into and are eligible for ECM. That's a huge success story. Um, and now as we go forward in 2023, as we kind of say, hey, we're in a good place with uh, enrollment. We're getting in a better place with enrollment. Claims are happening. Numbers are there. I think we're getting to a place where we can start looking around and say, hey, 
what's the quality of this program? How successful are we in making people's lives better? Reducing EER utilization, um, really targeting these certain groups. In the case of Kern County, we are predominantly uh, Hispanic, Latino mix, uh, um, with Caucasian being our second largest group. Really identifying specific groups and plug them into our program to make sure that we're giving a good, equitable service to all of our membership. Awesome, man. Well, you talked about growth, so that's specific to the ECM uh, population. Now, one of the things that's um, in the news that some of our listeners uh, might be aware of is the end of the public health emergency. And yeah. for folks out there, you might recall that to become uh, people didn't lose their Medi-Cal eligibility during the public health emergency. So there were no checks and balances. It was a very generous system to ensure everyone got the care they needed, but that's changing. So I wanted to ask you, Dan, uh, you know, how do you see the end of the public health emergency and p- people potentially losing their Medi-Cal impacting you guys? Yeah, we're, we're definitely aware of that. And we're looking at every angle that we can to make sure that we're engaging with these folks. Um, I know that a- April 1st, 2023, the county was looking to see, to start finding these members who are going to lose out a total number. We're looking at about 20,000 members who that may affect. And so for us, we're really doubling down on our efforts with our pro- providers here internally, um, going, doing uh, community outreach, member engagement, going to the person, going to the people where they are to make sure that we, they don't lose out. It's not so much about us losing membership as much as members losing access to the healthcare, um, need, or healthcare access to the things they need. Um, that's our biggest concern. I mean, these folks are going to be largely constituted of homeless folks that we're really trying to find. So we are uh, feet on the street. We're on TV. We're on the radio. We are everywhere we can be on, on the media front and member engagement front to make sure that this uh, issue, that this 20,000 number is uh, mitigated and not that that, uh, that large of a number. That's a really, really scary thought. And I'm stumbling over myself because I can imagine some of these folks who don't even know that they're going to lose the health care and they're, an emergency is going to happen or they're going to have some kind of health care need and where we are. So current family health care, we're definitely trying to double our efforts to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I've worked with some of your colleagues, Dan, um, and I know like when it comes to outreach, like they're pushing it hard. They're asking the providers yeah. to push it hard. And um, so it's, uh, you know, like I said earlier, you, you speak truth and I've seen it. Um, so we've, we've covered a lot in just a little bit of a time, Dan, that's pretty much all I had prepared uh, with my questions for you. Uh, but I wanted to invite you to share anything else that you wanted to share with our audience before we wrap up for today. No, I just really wanted to highlight the fact that, um, first and foremostly, these managed care plans do produce quality, uh, outcomes. And I'm, you're, if you look at me, I am a product of managed care plans. Um, and I think that through initiatives like CalAIM, um, and through programs like CSS, um, through programs like ECM, PHM, you're really going to get more of Dan's in the world. You're going to yeah. start producing folks who feel connected to the community, and you're going to find that they're going to pay you back. And I live in proof. I hope that, that this is a success, and I, I'm nothing but grateful for the program and to be here and talking to you about it. Awesome, Dan. Well, hey, man, it's been great having you here. And uh, like I told Dan off the air, it was great. Um, to have a relatively smooth process with my invite to you and getting approval uh, to have you on folks behind the scenes as, you know, getting folks like Dan for public health plans or any health plan, you know, there's uh, some layers to get there. And uh, it's great to have Dan here today. Uh, Dan, if folks want to learn more about Kern Family Healthcare, KHS, uh, tell folks how they can uh, find you guys online. 
Yeah, currentfamilyhealthcare.com. Um, you can get a, a, a kind of an idea of all of our programs under the members tab. If you have any questions or concerns, always feel free to reach us out at phone number 661-632-1590. One more time on the number? 661-632-1590. All right. Awesome, Dan. Well, hey, appreciate you again. And uh, folks, take care. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.